Hey guys, it's Marsha Hoffines, and you are listening to the Storytellers Podcast, where we dig in, go deep, find ourselves, maybe cry, maybe laugh. We surrender, but we go home, and we go home big. We feel inspired. It's the story behind the cellophane. It's the story inside the truth. It's a story that most people don't want to tell, but we're here to share. Let's get started. Well, hey guys, thanks so much for joining us and listening and tuning in wherever you are listening to your podcast. Keep on listening, sharing, enjoying, and hey, follow us on social media. Instagram is msh underscore shift. You can also follow me, Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A underscore Hines, H-O-F-F. H-E-I-N-S. You can also find us on the book and join our makeshift tapping group. It's a public open group. We share goodies and information. Um, visit my website, marshallhoffines.com. Sign up for the newsletter and we'll just keep you full of all the goodies. All of them. All the time. Talk to you soon. So let me tell let me tell you a trick. Yeah. And this is a secret. But it's not a secret cuz I'm I'm going to tell you and I will tell anybody. For years I let this idea that oh, Marsha has to be more serious to be taken seriously because I would get feedback like that all the time from people. Like mm-hmm. I had this one student that chose to do her 300-hour teacher training with me and she was totally suspicious about me because, you know, I walk around with my hat, I got my curly hair, I wore those wild yoga pants and I never match. I'd wear plaid with like stars and stripes on my legs, mm-hmm. right? But then what happened was she sat in the room with me was like, oh my gosh, I had this person pegged so wrong. So I think we think we're supposed to change and be a certain way because that's what everybody wants us to be like in order for people to take you seriously. It's so stupid. I know it it took me, I think it was maybe up until, um, now I've never taken myself personally that seriously, but in context of being around other people, especially people your age, mm-hmm. you think that you're supposed to be on the same track as them. And there's so oh, much pressure. Yes. It's so frustrating. And, um, it was, I guess like the past, I think opening the studio too, is one of those things where I just realized I didn't have enough time anymore to care, like to put that much thought into it. Like I'm going to dress the way I'm going to dress. My hair is insane. It's going to be insane. You know, I say, things randomly all the time. I screw up my words. Who cares? Yeah. We get so lost in it instead of just embracing our own eccentricities. So, yeah. So you just said something that I, I shared this in the makeshift happened group um, a week or two ago, but mm-hmm. this whole idea that we're supposed to be on a certain path. And I actually think that this actually leads us very nicely into what we are probably going to talk about today. Um, Cause actually, if you're listening when you're listening, none of what we're talking about really has anything to say, has anything to has anything to say, has anything to do with the fact of what we're going to talk about. And it, hello, it's Mercury in retrograde. So watch March's word go. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, me too. Right there. Okay. So it says, I think part of the issue is people assuming that everyone must want to move upwards. Like mm-hmm. it's the next logical step for a person to want to move up the chain from worker to manager to district manager, eventually owner. But I always think of growth like plants. Aspens grow tall to reach the sun. 
but dandelions grow deep, understanding themselves so fully that if someone misguided fool, if some misguided fool tries to uproot them, they'd have to try really damn hard. And then there's thyme and other creeping plants, which spread themselves out so much that if you chop a part of it, chop a part of it at its roots, wherever it can find dirt, it will root in again. So what I love about that is this idea, like we do think we're supposed to be doing like these things, like mm-hmm. at certain times in our life. And yeah. because everyone's like, when are you, okay, now you've graduated from college. When are you going to get married? When are uh-huh. you going to have kids? And it's like, it's so annoying. Shut the fuck up. I don't know. No. And you know, you don't realize how frustrating it is to hear that until you're going through it. Yes. If talking to someone older, like if I were, let's say, go back to college self, I would assume, well, if you're married, then the next question is like, oh, when are you guys having kids? That is such an invasive or intrusive question. Yeah. And you don't honestly understand it until you are there and experiencing you're like oh my god I wish I could slap my younger self for like the unknowingly ignorant things Mm. that were said yeah so it would be willfully ignorant but back then unknowingly (laughs) well and it it goes to something that I teach all the time and once you know you know and you can't Mm -hmm. go back Mm -hmm. so actually this is a great spot to pause and say welcome to the conversation so today I'm here with the beautiful Kathleen Brown. Why did I want Ward. to give you Gort? What Ward. Ward? What the? I don't know. No, my maiden name is Brown. My yes, I know. I know. And as soon as it was coming out of my mouth, it didn't sound right. So <laughs> hi, my name is Marsha, and my <laughs> I am a Virgo, and my ruling planet is Mercury. And today is January fourteenth, twenty twenty the start of mercury retrograde. So I think there was something though, that I had that had auto generated on something I was doing. Maybe it was probably a zoom call or something where it showed up as Kathleen Brown because I hadn't changed my name registration and it caused confusion. So so it's your fault. (laughs) So thank you for that. No. So I'm here today to talk to Kathleen. And as, um, you guys know, if you've been listening for the past year and a half, this whole, uh, scene that I've got going on over here is to talk about stories, right? To connect us, to help us grow, to help the people who are sharing the stories heal, maybe have epiphanies, to help us come to deeper levels of understanding. And so um, I invited Kathleen onto the podcast today. We're going to have conversations around having babies and what that looks like and what it doesn't look like and all of these things. How I met Kathleen is... um, the stars aligned. She became part of my constellation back in 2016. Yeah. 2016, no, 20, uh, 2017, 2018, 2018. I don't even know what year well, that's I only like, this is when we opened the studio. Oh, well then that makes sense. Yeah. Then you, you know, better than I do. <laughs> I, is it even 2022? Is it 2010? I mean, honestly, it's I 1982. Hope, like, I don't I know milestones at this point to remember time frame. <laughs> This is true. Okay. Well, so how about this? We met in 2018. She's participating in her introduction, which is actually a lot of fun. So I'm not just sitting here talking about it by myself. So we met in 2018, um, her and her beautiful partner, Sheena reached out to me to, um, invite me to lead teacher training at their brand new space down in Haymarket, Virginia, uh, Vint Hill, Virginia, right outside of Haymarket, Virginia. Yes, it is right outside. Yes. (laughs) 
maybe I should hit record and we should start all over. No, again. this is because this is this is actually going to take up like the whole podcast. We just tried to get through introduction. <laughs> It's honest, right? It is. It totally is. And I can't be anything other than that. So that's how we met. They didn't know anything about me. I guess they had heard some nice things about me because that's what got us together. And then she took my teacher training program where we got to really get to know each other really well. When you do a teacher training program, one that spans six months, eight months, nine months, a year, it doesn't matter. Life happens and we all go through some stuff. And I will tell you that some stuff was gone through while we were together. That is for sure. Um, She is a beautiful, beautiful human being. She radiates love, compassion, empathy. She is herself a soft place to land for you if you ever need it. So if you are, I'm telling you in the area of Vint Hill, Virginia, or, you know, any of the surrounding areas, and you need a home, a space to heal your heart, find Vint Hill yoga that that space has turned into be this magical little gem of um, just heart and soul. And I, I, I bring that part up while I'm introducing Kathleen, because that happens the space takes on the energy of the people who are loving it. And you and Shino have just done a beautiful job creating community, um, adapting, growing, changing, shifting, expanding, particularly, you know, you heard they opened in 2018 (laughs) and then 2020 happened. So they were a very young studio. And I got to tell you, they just did some really beautiful things. And they've allowed me to share space now with three groups of teachers, um, from their space. And I have loved and grown and expanded my own heart and my own practice just because I know you. So thanks for joining me today. That was the sweetest. (laughs) Thank you, Marsha. You're welcome. Very kind of you. See now the next time you go to introduce yourself, you get to say, this is who I am. Good. I'm going to take notes. I, t- I took mental notes on that one. You should let it hit in your heart. <laughs> Carry that forward Thank with you. you. I know growing so, up, my dad would always make me uh, sit there and take compliments from him because I was yeah. so bad at it. He would just make me sit there and he would just throw lob compliments at me. Yeah. And all I was allowed to say was thank you instead of like starting to put myself down. But I've never let go of the awkward laughing. <laughs> well, that's okay. So I actually just made an Instagram post about it today because I received some just amazing words um, shared with me the other night after I did a presentation for a business. And um, one of the words they used to say about their experience with me was that I was quirky. And that was something kind of going back to what we were talking about. Like I used to run away from that because to me, I shouldn't be quirky. Shouldn't I be more professional? And so it's, I, I loved that this group of executives was like, it was fun. You were quirky, Mm -hmm. like, and that they loved the fact that I just, I mean, I said, fuck like 10 times in the middle of the, I mean, I know. And sometimes (laughs) it's appropriate. And sometimes it's not, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice, (laughs) but, but why I love that is because I actually then took that and I was teaching a yoga class yesterday and I was like, write down the last three things that someone said about you, like write yourself a letter to remind yourself, like, I am like, this is who I am. 
so that yeah. you can just remind yourself like, and there's such a power in actually taking pen to paper, mm-hmm. you know, and committing that to memory. So when you listen back to this, take notes, what I just said. <laughs> so today we're going to tackle the topic of, uh, infertility, right? Yeah having babies, growing a family, the adoption process, being a young mother, yeah, being a young mother, not knowing if you're going to be able to be a young mother Mm -hmm. and all that comes with this. So I appreciate you. I'm going to just say before we even get started, um, being willing and open and vulnerable enough to share these words and hopefully, and you will impact many, um, because I know that there's other people out there who need to hear this message. Yeah. And for me, it's just, it's always helpful. I, I have found throughout life after being someone who growing up was very much like, I'm not going to talk about things. I just have to truck through. I just have to keep Mm -hmm. moving that it's actually incredibly helpful to talk. And you know that, but you, and you encourage others to do it, but for yourself, it's like, uh, no, I'm okay. I don't want to do that, but it's helpful. Yeah. Isn't it funny that we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we should talk about it, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I don't talk about things, but you can, (laughs) I'm good, but you can can really open up. (laughs) Yeah. But you can just just really work on your vulnerability. (laughs) But one of, but what, but with that, it's all in timing, right? You have to be ready. You actually have, you yourself have to feel safe and taken care of. So that's the other reason why I'm saying thank you is that you feel, you know, like I'm going to, you feel safe with me. And that, that is to me, when I invite people to be on the podcast, um, or I invite people to speak at one of my events or to participate in some ways in some of my programs to share pieces of their heart, I'm always extremely honored because it's, it is private. It is an intimate, connection that you are then making with someone else. So yeah, why don't, um, tell us a little bit about you and, you know, whatever that feels like to you, I'm not going to, you know, however much you want to share. Yeah. Let us know. Um, where do you want me to start? I just said, I don't care. Uh, I know <laughs> you're like, you just gave me the instruction and now I'm going to ask you again. Oh, uh, <laughs> let's see back to the beginning. <laughs> Um, no, you know, I always think whenever I think of, um, where to start with all of it is as weird as it sounds college times where I feel like I really Mm. began to like find myself and understand myself and it's night and day almost how I am now compared to then, but in good ways, like back then, I mean, so for background, my husband and I, we dated when I was in college, Hmm. I was a senior and he had been grad. He's five years older than me. So he, he was already graduated and it just, and that kind of highlights, I think our relationship highlights the difference between us then and us now. Um, but back then I was always about work and even in school, I would skip classes to go work because to me, that was where life experience was happening. And it was, I mean, I wasn't just, I just wasn't at the time a school person. Now that being said, then I went back and got my master's and I was obsessed with school and I loved it, but different age, different appreciations. But 
yeah, I mean, Nick wanted me to, I went to school in Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew up in Virginia, but he wanted me to move back when we were dating. And I said, no, I'm focusing on myself and my career. And if you're not willing to be here for it, then we're out. So I took that time to work and sort myself out, moved to Baltimore to continue working, had a great setup going there. And then him and I reconnected. And I knew that if him and I ever reconnected, that I would be the one who would need to move. I would have to be ready when we got back together uh, to make the sacrifice of that because I put myself first for long enough where I wanted to switch to making it about more than that. Mm, so I love that. that was yeah. Sad. So when Nick and I got together, I mean, after our first date, I told him we were getting married. So <laughs> I mean, when you know, you know, him off, so <laughs> when you know, you know, there's just no, like, I, I love love stories. I love learning about how people find each other and fall in love. Yeah. But I mean, I never really, never really thought that I would have a, I always assumed the family would happen, but then I didn't, I had this feeling honestly from my early twenties that I wasn't going to be able to have one, a natural one. And I had always thought about adoption since I was little, I had always known that I wanted to adopt. What, what clue, what cued you into that? Like what made you, I had a gut feeling that I was not, Mm. I was either for me, I knew that I didn't think I was going to be able to have my own children. And if I did, I knew it was going to take a lot of effort. It was going to be really hard. And I just knew that. Interesting. I had conversations with my mom about it. I had conversations with some of my closest friends. They talk about family. And I was like, I just feel like it's either not going to happen or it's going to be really, really hard. So you just had this deep inner knowing of what your path and your experience was going to be like. Yeah, it was so, it was really, really odd, but it carried me through. And then, I mean, I always felt that way. And I told Nick that when we got together, I was like, I just have a feeling that this is kind of like the path for us. It's going to be difficult. And he was like, okay, I think you're, you know, you're not right, but you know, and then I was right, right but you know, you're no like, I want it. I told you so. I mean, <laughs> I know, which is honestly the worst. T- I told you so ever when yeah. you find out that you're right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we tried yeah. And I was pregnant twice and lost both of those pregnancies. And I went into a really terrible depression. And mm-hmm. it was in that, that I stepped away from my job because I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I was crying on the way to work every morning at work because my job was with newborns when I moved to Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I was directly with brand spanking new, fresh out of the womb, newborns. And the first miscarriage is like, I just need to get over it. And I'm going to go right back to work. The second one, I took a week off. It wasn't a long time, but, um, it was long enough for me to realize that this wasn't healthy. So then after that, I, when I left my job, I was also in school for my master's and proudly kept a 4.0 going the whole time. (laughs) I needed something, but yeah. When, then we started going through fertility treatments and I was just like, I just don't think they're going to work, but I'm going to give it my all. I do, is, do you mind, do you mind yeah. giving like the time span here? Like yeah. so, years, three years, two years, a year, like, right. So, okay. So 
we, we got pregnant on my, I thought I was pregnant on our one year anniversary. So that was 2017. Okay. So shortly before I met you, cause I, yeah, yes. Okay. I met you like, yeah, a year later. Mm-hmm. So 2017 back to back. So lost a pregnancy in July, lost another one in October. Um, the day that my nephew came home from the hospital from being born. Mm. And I, well, that's a whole other thing. We can always go back to these things, but like, that's just ridiculous. And, um, but then we started fertility treatments in 2018 because mm-hmm. we gave myself some time to finish out the masters. And then I think I started going through them. I had just started going through them before teacher training. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you opened up a couple of times during teacher training to me privately. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you were talking to the women in the group about it, but you would mention it to me every once in a while that like, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do, or, or you'd be like, I'm going to be, so, you know, if I'm really emotional, this is what I'm going through just to give me. Yeah. So such an emotional space to be in being vulnerable Mm -hmm. like that and talking about it and I know it was for the better and that's why I was like attempting to be open and talk Mm -hmm. about it but also physically I just didn't know Um, my body felt totally foreign to me I didn't have to mine I do remember you saying that to me yeah it didn't end the same it didn't Mm -hmm. react the same I mean, it still doesn't, but at least I understand it's just cranky now. I mean, <laughs> I can work with that, really? but <laughs> right. you know, emotionally and physically, I just didn't understand who I was anymore. Cause you just kind of get lost in this grief cycle and then lost in what you want to be hope. Mm-hmm. And so you're just constantly playing tricks on yourself. Kind of. mm, that's interesting to think about it that way. Like you're in this grief cycle. Mm-hmm mixed in with hope. And, you know, I'll just share, I've never had these experiences. Um, I have the, um, DNA, the body makeup that if I think about, I was going to say, if I think about sex, that was incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) If I think about having a baby, like just, we would utter, Hey, let's try. And then the next thing you know, I'm pregnant. Like I just, my body enjoyed the process of just, um, so to experience two back to back and then go, okay, now I'm going to put my body through this because I am hopeful and just understanding the grief process, right? Like grief doesn't ever really end. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so incredibly powerful and brave of you to have stepped in so quickly mm-hmm. to the whole, like, no, I want to try, I want to try this now. I just, mm-hmm. I, I think that's beautiful. And like, if I think about the timing of that, which is also remarkable to me, you had just started a brand new business Yeah. Oh, God. and you were putting yourself through teacher training program. Mm-hmm. So two things, one holy shit. And two, what a remarkable, like, you know, when I, when I refer to you as a safe place to land, you actually put yourself in this really like nurturing environment to kind of hold you through that, the grieving process and your hope process. Yeah. 
I mean, it was, it was really hard, especially at that time um, for teacher training. When we started getting to know each other, I was just, I felt like, it felt like I was at my bottom. Um, and it was really hard. I mean, I, I, there was nothing you could do to come out of it. Nothing, mm-hmm. opening a business didn't help, you know, like going mm-hmm. to training didn't necessarily like, you know, these things, but they do at the same time, you know, yes. Yes. they do help because they're, they're steps. Right. And they do keep you moving forward. And this new life with studio and training and everything there created this new opportunity where it introduced me to being a lot more mindful. Mm -hmm. And I tell this to a lot of the students when they say that, oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't worked out for a long time and I don't know how yoga is going to do for me. Like, or they start, you know, self-deprecating kind of thing before a class even begins. And my whole thing with classes, I've had students who just sit back and meditate the entire time. I don't mm-hmm. care mm-hmm. because you showed up and that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like no one ever acknowledges how hard it is to simply walk through the doors and agree to roll out your mat. Like that's a big enough thing. Well, and let's not forget that the whole reason we practice is to heal. Yeah. So if the healing that you need in that moment in time is to be in a room surrounded by nurturing words, powerful breath, maybe some emotional songs Mm -hmm. and a space that's like warm and hugging you, then that's, that's a beautiful gift to be given yourself. Right. Yeah. I, I, you, you said something that I want to tie back to, um, a recent interview um, podcast that I did with Vicki Newfall. Um, it's going to be the, the, if you guys are listening, it's the, I think it's the episode right before this one is releasing um, where she talks about after the loss of her husband, the best advice that she was given was focus on your work and focus on your kids, your boys. And you just said something about opening up a studio and getting into teacher training. And these things aren't to distract you or make you forget, but sometimes we need action. We need to take some actionable steps in the external realm so that we can keep ourselves going. Mm -hmm. We can keep ourselves busy. Yeah. So that when at the end of the day, when we do go home, we can allow the emotions to flow and we can allow ourselves to heal, whether it's in private or with other people, mm-hmm. because we can't just sit back and wallow in it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have to give ourselves something to do. And what you did was you built your whole healing process around this big word, hope. hmm right? Hope for a new studio, hope for myself through transformation and teacher training, hope by taking on this next step with, you know, um, fertility treatments. Yeah. Well, yeah, because at that point too, how doing these things and having this plan was giving me hope again, because I really had lost it. I didn't have any of it. I was, it was just, it was so beyond. And, um, I, I often equate, so when I was, when I did decide to leave my job at the hospital, so I worked in, I'm working in Baltimore to, uh, with research integrity at a university to 
then working in um, genetic research uh, for newborns, like a lot of different, I don't know, different things, but, um, and that switch is really great. But in that time, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I was, <laughs> I was just so busy. And yes. that when all this stuff happened, it was like something had just slammed stop on that elevator for me and I could not move forward. And I have always managed uh, depression issues throughout life. And this was just something that, this was a, a monster that I hadn't seen yet. Mm-hmm. And I had a full a mental collapse and like breakdown. And um, when I, I had originally asked for to go part-time before eventually giving up the ghost and just saying, I'm out. And my boss was trying to figure out like, you know, she's trying to be really supportive and I, but she wasn't quite getting it. And I was like, you're not understanding what I'm saying. It feels like they're like, my mind is a window pane and it is cracked. And that crack is spreading. I can see it and feel the cracks just spreading and it is that glass is about to come down and I need I need to step back that is not good such um a powerful image to give to that feeling of hopelessness Mm -hmm. despair it's a terrifying image it's a terrifying feeling and but it was the only thing even now whenever I think about that time that's all I can Mm. imagine is that what I visualized as you talked me through that experience is that you were just so busy Mm -hmm. it was almost like you were just on autopilot with the busyness and working 70 plus hours a week and in grad school and uh you know we were trying to have kids and I was dealing with the loss of the with these miscarriages and it was you were in a hamster wheel and it was terrifying hamster wheel that you just can't slow down or get off of. And in that, in that busyness, in that autopilot, we aren't feeling, we are so disconnected that, but what happens is like you said, you're on this elevator. Like I almost visualize like the scene, right. Where you're like mm-hmm. so busy and you're going, going, but you step in the elevator and for the five floors and you hear the music in the background, you sit there and you're like, what the am I doing? Like you can just, you know, and your body is like desensitized and you're drinking all the caffeine and, and that, but then all of a sudden you're like, no, man, I can't keep going on like this. Like you are disconnected from your body somehow. And I think we can all for a variety of reasons, somewhere along the way, identify mm-hmm. and relate to that part of your story of just this feeling of I'm so busy. I don't even know. I don't even know how I got here today. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. Am I wearing clothes? Like, did I put clothes? On? Can I tell you that there was times in my height of my, like being a crazy yoga instructor, like working so many classes that sometimes I'm like, oh my God, did I remember to put pants on? Because like, <laughs> I have forgotten to put a bra on for, I've had to turn around I, like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> you're like, yes. I mean, but that's that to me, those are these signals that are being sent to us. That's like, you're too busy. You're not feeling you're not present. You're not open. You're shutting down. So I, and you know, 
um, back to this whole conversation of like, everyone isn't on the same trajectory when you're like, no, no, literally I need to go part-time. I need to slow down. Sometimes that makes society uncomfortable <laughs> because, oh because society is like, well, don't you want the big house and the big this? And then, mm-hmm. and you're like, no, I don't. I just want to yeah. freaking you relax. Want you want that promotion. You want to keep climbing. And like, you know, yeah. Up until that point. Yeah. I was sure. up for the promotion. I was yes. the point person. I was a leader for this program. I was training other hospital, like other hospitals and their staff and like, but nothing at that point was going to, I mean, your body and your mind start rejecting all of that at some point. Mm-hmm. And mine was shutting, shutting me shutting down. down. Like I said, I, I was driving to Fairfax and that was a good three hours each day in the car mm-hmm. cry the entire time. Yeah. Would have to take breaks at work. And I was like, this is not normal. It's not okay. Yeah. And you know, and so now like my whole thing is like trying to really remain on top of it and understand when I'm starting to feel that way. But yes. I would be lying if, you know, it doesn't almost paralyze you though a little bit that if, you know, we ever didn't have a studio and I was looking at going back to work. That's a terrifying feeling. Yes. When I left work, it was under absolute mental duress. Sure. And like, if I went back, you know, there is that thought in the back of mind, like, what if it happens again? But yeah, you know, you want no one to go, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's a long way away. You're like, well, we we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll table that conversation. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> we'll just pass that for a second. Um, yeah, so. Talk us through a little bit about your experience um, with uh, your fertility process. And again, you, I, I've already forgotten it, even though you just told me about 25 IUI. minutes ago. <laughs> IUI. Thank you. I'm not familiar with these terms. So talk us through this. Talk us about, and if you don't mind, maybe just offering a little bit of education on what is IUI versus IVF and wow. the difference and the road you went down and why, you know, all of the choices that then you began to make from that point forward. Yeah. So when we decided to do it, the only place anybody ever talked about, you know, it was like shady Grove, shady, shady Grove, this, shady Grove, that. And like, so <clears throat> we went and, um, we decided to inquire and talk to your doctor and you know, either you realize very quickly, like within the first 15 minutes of conversation, it's all essentially like big pharma. They all just, they want your money. They will absolutely tell you it's a great idea, no issues or anything like that. And we did, we had the doctor that told me, would only speak to my husband first off, hmm. big red flag. But oh I thought maybe I was reading into it, but then he was like, it's ugh, look at, look at your age, look at, your health, like talking to both of us, this will be a swish. We'll be able to do this. It'll be so easy. And he kept saying that every appointment. And, and first we start off with, um, say it's like timed intercourse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they tell you they'll track your cycle for you. And then they'll tell you when you're supposed to, you know, have sex so that you can hopefully get pregnant. And so we did that. didn't work. <clears throat> And so then we switch over to IUI, which is where your partner has to take a sample in and they do all the cleaning, all this other stuff to make it as like 
good as gold as possible, you know? And then they tell you, they give you shots that you have to give yourself. And um, so they give you hormones you have to take and they monitor your follicles and how much you're ovulating and all of that. And so before that though, you have to have all these tests done to make sure that you're perfect. Mm -hmm. There's nothing standing in your way. And every test was ACEs. It was all great. And then the one final test we had was um, a dye test and it was for me and it's where they take this dye and they inject it into your uterus. And so it can track everything to make sure everything is moving through as it should. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, worst case scenario, which isn't going to happen for you based off of everything else. It's like, you know, you have to watch out for um, your fallopian tubes. Um, They should spill out the liquid. And so I went in and they're like, it'll be fine. Let's just bump this out. They're really nice techs that were doing it. And it started getting really painful on one side. And I told them, I was like, I need you to stop what's happening. And it's because my fallopian tube was sealed at the end not both of them, just one of them. Mm. And so one was a little, you know, a little clogged. So they were able to get liquid through it cleared out, but then the other one was just swelling and I could feel it and it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I never knew what that feeling was, but I have always had that feeling. I've always been in a bit of discomfort Mm. for like two to three weeks every month. And I never understood why, because ovulating or not, I was always uncomfortable. And so it turned out is because I had a messed up fallopian tube. It just was sealed at the end. So, and let me just ask you this question. They don't pick yeah. these things up on sonograms or your ultrasounds or anything like that. It's hard to see. No. It's hard to detect. Got it. They wouldn't okay. know unless they were doing this test because, or else it just looks like normal body. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. we didn't know until we were, unless they test specifically, specifically for it. So after that was done, I was like, okay, so what does that mean? They're like, well, you still have the other side. It'll be fine. It's fine. And I was like, but you're telling me then now it's a 50, 50 in my mind chance. And I had told them, I was like, well, are we sure it's going to be, this is going to work. And again, the doctor was like, absolutely no problem. But then I wasn't ovulating on the side that wasn't having issues with the fallopian tube. And so every, each round, they would give me these hormone injections and it wasn't making any of the follicles grow to where they needed to be. So I wasn't able to get any viable eggs. And they, they kept wanting me to go through with it. And so Nick and I, we took a break because I was of course like exhausted, felt out of my head from hormones mm-hmm. and it became our whole life. And there's nothing remotely sexy about that you know that is just it's a job at that point it's not you know there's no excitement about the idea of having there's no bounce none of that sorry that was (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) look let's just put it out there I mean it's not it's just yes nothing yes I mean I'm listening to you and I'm like wow Wow. Like that's a, that's a hefty proposition. What you did, right. That's a lot. They they called me and they wanted to start IVF, but I had made the decision that, you know, first off IVF is 
so expensive. Insurance yes. does not cover it. And also my body in its natural state as it was, didn't want to produce biological children. And for me, I wasn't going to force my body to do something it was not made to do. And how many months after you started the whole process, did you go, I'm done? Like we only did, we were supposed to go through a fourth round and I stopped it after three. Got it. I was just just feeling out of my head. I started getting really depressed. I was like, I don't want kids anymore. I don't want this. Let's not have a family. Let's abandon ship. I I can't do it. Yeah. And so let's back up to this other idea of feeling hopeless. Where did you go, Kathleen, at this point, emotionally? Yeah. I mean, I was, it it only furthered, uh, it just made me feel like this is like a never ending cycle Mm -hmm. and it was a ride I wanted to get off of. It made the idea of having a family, the least appealing thing in the entire world. And it just, I mean, it messed, it messed with me. I know that Nick felt it and didn't love how I was feeling and it impacted him, you know, obviously not in the same ways, but you know, he's my partner. And if, I mean, he's not able to emotionally support me because I can barely emotionally support myself. Yeah. You know, it creates kind of, in, you know, issues there, but luckily he's steady Eddie. So I was really lucky with that. Um, but it was after that, it was like, let's call it quits on this and let's revisit the adoption talk. Cause we had always had a plan because I am someone who likes my step-by-steps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> Step one is this. Step two, this, it helps me keep a little bit of sanity when things feel out of it. And so I was like, all right, we, we did that. We can look back and say, we tried our best. We looked at every Avenue and what we omitted, we omitted for this reason. And we tried this and it didn't work. Now we can't have any regrets about that. Let's look forward. And so then we started a search for an adoption agency and we found one and they were, are just the nicest kindest people who care so much about the whole child mm-hmm. and because adoption itself can also be a weird monetization of yes. youth and it's yes. really gross yes and we knew we didn't want to adopt a newborn if I wasn't having one we knew it was off the table and we weren't interested yeah because also along with you know the crazy money that is IVF crazy money it's gross to me thinking about how much agencies can charge someone for adopting a newborn. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a whole, that's a separate whole other thing conversation. And I was just going to say, so you went from your own process to then investing in another process to now you're investing in another process. And this yeah. is just like, it's, it's a remarkable journey for me to just, if I, if I can just interject for a second, because, you know, I've known you pretty much this whole time. Yeah. And one, just the grace that you've carried through all of this, like, you know, good, bad, it doesn't matter. I don't think anyone would have known that this was what was going on behind the scenes. Like you were able to really, And I don't know if it was compartmentalization or you were finding strength and just being around all these other people that you wanted that space to almost be like untouched by it. So you had it. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I just, I, I, I just really, um, want to say like, it's very brave and, um, I know that you are support surrounded by an incredible support system of people who absolutely 100% knew what was going on. It's not like you were just like holding it all for yourself and only talking to you and your husband, but just, it's really incredible to think this is when I just ask everyone to take a big step back and go, you have freaking no idea. And it's sometimes you don't have any idea, not because people aren't willing to share, but sometimes they don't share because the space that you're hanging out with them is providing like, not an escape, like you're running away from it, but just like you being able to be a different part of you without having to carry the story into that space and almost like clouding it up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think this is, yeah. Like I felt, especially when the studio opened stuff at that point, or even with training, I like to hear other people's stories and give others room Mm -hmm. to express their stories and themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very happy, especially in those moments to kind of take a backseat. <laughs> well, and, and there's, cause there's healing in listening to other people there even is. share for you, there right? Like it's there's perspective. Yep. It's all yep. the things. Yep. So you went on your IVF journey or I, IUI, my mm-hmm. gosh, let me get that correct. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. When did you begin the process of adoption? January, 2020. Okay. Yeah. Holy shit. I know. Okay. So you, so you took a break. We started trying in 2016 Yes. and then we started IUI rounds in the tail end of 2017 Mm -hmm. because we kept trying even after the miscarriage didn't work. And then IUI, we called it quits. We had this really great trip. We took to New Orleans and um, I remember just having the conversation be like, we can't do a fourth round because at that point, like we talked about earlier, your relationship comes only becomes only about this, this thing. Yes. And so for me and for us, um, it became really important that we just reconnect as a couple mm-hmm. because whether we have kids or not, we need to make sure we're enough for each other. And so before we could enter into an adoption process, because then you're really pursuing something that is mostly tangible, mm-hmm. unless you back out of something, but like, it was really important to refocus ourselves before moving on to the next thing. So we did, we took some time after that final round of IUI, we took until that January, 2020 mark to really spend time together and make sure that we were, we could be happy, just us. And the answer was yes. And we 100%. Yeah. 100%. I love that. So it's like you gave yourself a little joy, a little fun, a little yeah, and time to heal as a couple. Yes. too. Yeah. So. This is a lot. It's yeah. a lot. So you began January, 2020 going, yeah. Woo, this is going to be freaking awesome year. <laughs> well, we just didn't know. Like, so uh, the, who the, did the <laughs> was that. Um, our social worker is incredible. And Mm -hmm. she was like, this could be a long process, but she was super transparent about everything. And, um, we opened our, we turned everything over to her and we said, we will take your lead. 
because you start having such revealing conversations with this person because they have to know you. Mm-hmm. They have to get to know you. Mm-hmm. And through just the most mundane even conversations, they see so many little glimpses and interviews and all this stuff. And so she got to know us so well that we felt comfortable then like we, she would start sending us profiles and things. And we had to have more difficult conversations because you don't say yes to every profile that lands in your lap. You have to look at it and reasonably say, would we be the best support for this child? And we said no plenty of times because we didn't know if we could be ready to take on and be the sole support for someone who needed so much. Yeah. Depending on their cases themselves. Because yeah. we're looking at older child adoption. We weren't looking at uh newborns or anything yeah. like that. An older child is termed anywhere from like a year on. So got it. So they they might be coming with like so many different traumatic experiences, maybe yeah. none. Like it's that's yeah. like a big old mixed bag, right? And you have to fill out complete profiles about the things that you're comfortable taking on, things that you're not, and then furthering the conversations. Cause they'll still say like, here's this, it was this, but let's think about this and let's talk. Yeah. So everything was always a conversation, which was great. Um, but we'd only intended to adopt maybe one child. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, so you started that yes to siblings, like two, uh, in a, if it were a special situation and we said only, if we would ever consider three, if it was like, I mean, it had to be something that our social worker felt called to for us because we had no intention of that. And then I remember she sent us an email and it was the day, it was in March of, when did we all start getting vaccinations? 2021. 2021, yeah. God, 2021 was a long year and also a very fast year. Yeah, so, so let me, if you, I just want to know if, if at all, mm-hmm. did, did 2020 impact the process of adapting for you um, no. or no? Okay. No, I just was curious. It, was, it didn't, it didn't impact our desire to, and it didn't impact the process a ton. The only thing that it changed up was that, um, you know, we had to do everything over zoom. So you're Got missing it. that in-person thing. Yes. That's why we did everything video to try and connect yeah. as much as possible with Got our it. Okay. Worker. Yeah. 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 I was just curious. Okay. Carry yeah. on. So 2020, March, 2021, you get an email. Yeah. March, 2021, we get an email. I'm coming out of my appointment from getting my COVID vaccination and, um, our social worker was just like, Hey, just tossing this out there. Just think about it. Don't have to get back to me right now. Uh, there are three kids and their siblings and you know, here are their ages at the time. It was like one and a half, four and 10. And we're just like, mm, I don't know. Let's think about it. So I had texted my husband. I was like, listen, we just got this email from social worker and I, it feels different. I was like, but let's just think about it. Let's mm-hmm. weigh the pros and cons. And we did mm-hmm. it every time. We never said no right away. We'd always have a conversation mm-hmm. and we would weigh everything in our mind and try and be as realistic as possible. And so this time though, it just, it, it felt totally different. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of three. So maybe that had some sort of impact and I'm the youngest with two older brothers. And this was mm-hmm. the same situation. So 
possible there was a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing going on there. But, um, you know, we, we talked about it. We took our time with it. We didn't bum rush each other with opinions or anything. They gave us like three weeks before they brought it up again, before the social worker brought it up again. And at that point, the only con was that we needed a bigger car. That was right. it. We had the room a reason. in the house. Yeah. yeah, we had the rooms. There was no reason that way why it couldn't work out. Right. We, you know, my husband is very lucky to have a very reliable job. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to worry about that. We had the schedule freedom to make it work because when COVID happened, Sheena and I took a big step back and limited the class schedule and limited, we were before teaching like maybe nine or 10 classes mm-hmm. a week ourselves. And you take out, then you add subbing duties and it becomes a lot, sure. yeah. but oh, now yeah. we don't teach more than four and we won't teach more than four. Mm-hmm. Um, we just won't do it. It's not mm-hmm. in the cards for us, not what we want for ourselves. And we've built it up enough where, you know, we can do it. So we had those conversations and there were really no cons. I needed a new car anyway, at the least, you know, it's time. Sure. And, and from the, from the perspective of what you were getting, you didn't yeah. see that you were like, it, yeah. no red flags. It wasn't no anything that flags. you weren't ready yeah. to take on. No, it just, it felt right to pursue. And so we decided to, and this is, again, we had profiles of other kids to review and all these things. And none of them, none of it seemed like the right fit. Now the social workers, they all thought they were right fits for us. They thought we could provide nice homes, which was a very nice compliment. And they know they weren't just saying that because we know them really well, but um, it just didn't sit right. Well, and knowing that you have such a strong gut feeling, I mean, you got to follow that. You got to trust yeah. that, right? Yeah. And then it was really like, we finally got to the point where we met them because we didn't get to see any pictures of them before we met them. Why? Is it, well, Is so it the privacy thing. Yes. Okay. And it really stems. A lot of it really comes around to, at least from our process was ages of kids mm. and they don't want you making when I think it's beautifully smart of them too. They don't want you making yay or nay decisions based off of appearances. Oh my gosh. I love that. People do that. A lot of people do that. Of course. Even we talked about adopting, you still come across some people who have some very weird mentalities or they're like, that's so great. Now you get to pick exactly what you want. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, right. I mean, in a, in a world that is so externally focused on appearances, I know. right? I mean, I mean it, was, it was the most disgusting whenever I'd encountered those people. I just thought it was yeah. so gross. Yeah. And, but I mean, I thought it was, I, we thought it was really great that they didn't allow you to see photos. And so we had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. We were given like a general idea of personalities and things like that. And when the three of them walked into the room was supervised visitation. We were all wearing masks too. So you really, you couldn't, I mean, even if they give us a picture, we could never recognize anybody. Sure. Um, it was just, it was, it was great. It was strange and it was mostly a nerve wracking process. Um, and I didn't realize the significance of it until afterwards when we walked with them and their foster parents outside or their foster mom outside with their social worker. And they wanted Nick and I just to be there so they could run around and jump off of things and watch them do their big jumps. And Izzy, who's 
two now, a little over two, she at the time um, was letting me pick her up and toss her around and we would play and she wouldn't mind those things and I could walk with her. And uh, I had no idea that she had a massive issue with people picking her up. She wouldn't allow it if it wasn't the foster. And then we didn't realize, we knew that um, our oldest, Cameron was shy, but we didn't know that it was a big deal for him to like talk and joke around and stuff like that. And he did that with Nick and uh, he was so excited to answer questions and talk. And, you know, Dayton is our four-year-old and he's a four-year-old, so he just wants to play. So he really anybody, anybody could be in the room, he doesn't care about you. He just wants to play. So that was, you know, that, but yeah, it was just, it was great. And then we left and we just, we knew and it felt so different. And we immediately emailed and said, yes, we want to continue meeting with them and the next steps and everything. And and that was a whole other process because they were, when it was all said and done, they were supposed to be able to move in. They'd originally talked about April. So it was gonna Mm -hmm. be fast. And then it was then to May and then to June. Mm And finally, July, we were fighting so hard mm-hmm. to get them to move in. Finally, mid-July, they were able to move in because we wanted ample time with them living here before school started. So they got yeah. and we could all get to know each other more. But every visit became so much more emotional for us leaving. And I know that my husband probably has such a head case in the car because I'd be crying when we'd have to like drop them off and leave them and not understanding why it's like, why is this so much red tape? And of course there's red tape and yeah, all the, you know, the little things in there that really make a big impact with timelines, but it was just, it was just so nice. We got to take them to a park and play with them, just let them run in a big field and go on walks. And, you know, just, we got to do normal things, even with COVID. Yeah, because we didn't go inside anywhere. Everything was mm-hmm. outdoors, so we finally got to take masks off and see each other's faces. And yeah, yeah. So now you have had these beautiful children. What eight months now? Uh, six months. Six months. Almost yeah, I don't. Seven. Almost, yeah, almost seven months. Yeah, twelve years doesn't matter. What it feels like sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like, Eight months, six months, five years, we 1982. Cannot, yeah. We yeah. can't have our life without them. I mean, it was so nerve wracking putting together their rooms. I was so anal about how things were going to look and be. And now it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, yeah. <laughs> there's days where I have the energy to clean it up. And other days where I'm like, it's just going to happen again. But no, I mean, it, we have all, all of us have now seen every side of each other, good, bad, the ugly, the stress, the exhausted, everything. And we all, we love each other Mm. so much. I mean, our oldest is the funniest and all he wants to do is just be involved in as many things as possible. And we foster that we let him do it because who comes up to you and says, I really want to be in this spelling bee or I really want to be in this book club, not because he really cares about that stuff, but he loves to be involved. And 
he's like the Pied Piper of our neighborhood. Mm. We never really even knew any kids outside of <clears throat> the two that lived across the street that are friends with my nieces because they go to the same school yeah. and our neighbors, but we never really saw them playing outside. And then the three move in and Cameron's outside and all of a sudden he's friends with every single person in the neighborhood. He's just rallying the troops. He is. And so I mean, the greatest joy was one day we looked outside and saw every kid in the neighborhood. They were all playing together. And it was so amazing. And they all love Izzy so much. As soon as she's like the celebrity, if she goes outside, because no one really wants, it's not exciting. No one tell, well, I'm sure people did tell me, but it's not exciting playing outside with a two-year-old. You're out there for maybe 10 minutes yes. and it's just, they, they do not love the outdoors. They want to go back inside. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have a neighborhood full of kids who just think she's the greatest, they will want to play with her and keep her out there for as long as possible. And she'll just keep going because she has person to person to person to look around yes. to. And Dayton has been able to just, he's ne- he was never in school before. Um, and so this year he's been thriving in school and he's been playing in the neighborhood and he's been being able to explore kids his own age or close to his own age versus just the older boys he was playing with before. And it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, behind me is like the scene of like their drawings and Mm -hmm. things that they make at school. And our whole house has that. Like we still have this Christmas garland we hung up because we put glitter all over it. And Nick was terrified that I was, of glitter, of course, because <laughs> what sane person says, let's break out glue and just start <laughs> dipping things in glitter. Well, me, <laughs> but so, it's still hanging up because they don't want to take it down. Take it down. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Well, who cares? It's just, there's so much more joy and the noise can be so much but at the same time. It's so wonderful. But it really, I mean, during those quiet moments, I mean, bedtime is great. <laughs> <laughs> so your three beautiful children have moved you out of despair, moved you even out of hoping into joy. Yeah. So what did you give, if they gave that to you, what did you and Nick give to them? That's a great question. <laughs> um, well, stability. Yeah. Stability being key. Um, they know they can count on us even when we're upset. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I remember uh, being really frustrated because my four-year-old decided to draw on the wall and oh, move yeah. bed across the room and, you know, throw everything because it was, it was a tantrum. And they never, they don't have an age expiration date, by the way, there is no age where they end. (laughs) Yes. But I remember being so mad and I definitely raised my voice and I went to him after and I had taken some time to calm down and he took a little time to calm down. And we started doing this thing where we take deep breaths. So we took a deep breath, him and I together. And I told him, it's like, I love you. No matter what you do, I love you. And he started crying and he gave me a big hug. And like, that's when I knew that he actually heard me. And even with Cameron, we had one night where, you know, he 
through an 11 year old size tantrum, which just involves slamming doors and walking out of the room when you're talking to them, which yeah. honestly, pet peeve. Worse than moving your head drying on the wall. It's walking out of the room when I'm trying to speak to you. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke to him about it and he was very unhappy. And he's like, I don't like it when you yell at me. I was like, this was certainly not yelling. Um, but I'm glad that you don't know what my yell sounds like. Yeah. But I want you to know, despite all that, before I walk out of your room, I love you. I don't care mm-hmm. if you don't say it back to me. You can be mad at me, you can feel all the feelings, but I love you no matter what. And I, it seemed to, we just, we make sure that we always make sure they know, even if we're upset with them, that we care about them. Yeah. So even if, you know, we mess up a million times over and you will hope that they know and you will, and they will loved. And what I love about that, if I like think about this whole journey, them finding you, you finding them that it's been this beautiful collision of love, right? And giving love in two different ways that someone needed to heal in their home and their home being at their heart. And what I also love about listening to you talk about them is that you're allowing them to be their own individual self, which is huge, particularly, well, for any child really, but to um, just come right out of the bat and go, I see you and I'm just going to let you be you. Mm-hmm. And just this incredible sense of just natural ability to, um, literally foster growth in maybe a situation that was seemingly hopeless at one point mm-hmm. for all of you. So if you had to send a message to, gosh, any woman out there, any couples that are out there um, going through the process, going and riding the up and downs, and you had to just leave them with one final moment, one final message, what would it be? Gosh, um, maybe it sounds weird to say, but put yourselves first mm-hmm. because if you are not putting yourself first and making sure that you are okay, or that you and your partner are okay, then the rest will fall apart. Yeah. You know, none of it, it only the taking big steps like that can only add more stress. Mm-hmm. And if, you can't have the conversations and make sure that you are enough for either yourself or each other. Cause whether you're a single person or, you know, someone with in a relationship mm-hmm. doing this together, if you aren't enough for yourself or you and your partner aren't enough for each other, then it's not going to be ever going to be the right step. But if you can have that moment and you can prioritize yourselves Mm-hmm. then you can foster a loving enough home or a safe enough home to welcome in a family or these other things, you know? I mean, because at the end of the day, like I said, if, if kids were never going to work out for us, we knew we had taken enough time, to just have the conversations and sit back. And it's really easy in all the excitement of it or the, um, 
that step-by-step -step thing that you think you're supposed to do to get focused squarely on the next step you're supposed to have and keep going with, then you can lose sight of all of it. But it is imperative that you step back and be honest. You need to be super honest with yourself. Mm. Well, and isn't that just a remarkable message for almost any situation? Yeah. And I just love how you brought it back to that. Um, because we know it's not about the outcome. It's not about the end goal. It's about the journey. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't on a journey with someone who makes you feel amazing and you guys aren't in it together, then the outcome really doesn't matter either way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. It is yeah. Yeah. never easy. None yeah. of it is easy. And I don't think it ever gets easy, but you know, for all those hard moments, there's a bunch of really nice ones. Absolutely. And they make up for all of the others. Well, my dear, thank you so much for sharing so openly. And actually I, I have like a million other follow-on questions that we could probably do like 10 more conversations around. But for <laughs> now, what I'm going to say is thank you for allowing us to experience um, you at a deeper level to hear about your beautiful new family through understanding who they are, giving us insights into your, your beautiful relationship as well. And for allowing healing to be a source of connection, no matter where you are listening to this conversation and what your state is, I hope that it brings you some peace and love and joy. Um, and you guys know the drill. If you love the episode, share it with a friend, leave us a review, and I'll talk to you next time.